0: Support for this podcast comes from CooperVision Specialty Eye Care. CooperVision Specialty Eye Care is dedicated to addressing the unmet needs of practitioners and patients worldwide whose ocular challenges compromise not only vision but quality of life. Their unmatched portfolio of specialty lens designs includes the following brands: Blanchard, GP Specialists, Number no. 7 Contact Lenses, Paragon, ProCornea, and Soflex. Learn more at coopervisionspecialtyeyecare.com.
1: The Globalized Podcast has been brought to you by Cooper Vision Specialty Eye Care. The presenters are paid consultants.
2: Hello, this is Melissa Barnett, Principal Optometrist at UC Davis Eye Center. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Globalized Podcast series. Today, we're pleased to welcome John Blanchard. Blanchard contact lenses have been supplying practitioners with unique custom-made lenses since its foundation in 1986 with a specialization in scleral lenses. Meet the master behind the lab that has earned a reputation of excellence in both quality workmanship and unprecedented consultation and partnership. Thank you for joining us, John.
3: Well, Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
2: In today's podcast, we're going to talk about three generations of contact lenses. Let's get started. So John, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you become interested in the optical field?
3: Well, actually my father was an optometrist and uh, he graduated from the University of Montreal in 1946, even before contact lenses were invented. Back then there was only scleral lenses. Uh, so that's uh, how you know I got involved in the uh, industry because my father was an optometrist and he started a lab of his own, uh, I think early in the 60s when contact lenses, you know, the PMMA back then became uh, available. Uh, he used to supply himself from a lab in Chicago, and it took forever for the lenses to come back. And he was not necessarily always happy with the way that the edges were rounded off on the lenses. So he, he started doing some edging of his own, and uh, slowly but surely, he integrated the, uh, the uh, manufacturing of contact lenses from A to Z, basically, from buying his PMMA not in a button form, but actually a rod form, which was about six or seven feet long, and he would cut his half-inch blanks himself. Uh, so, uh, he had a lab uh, early on in the 60s. I was born in 56. Uh, so obviously when I was old enough to understand what was going on, maybe, uh, 65, 66, 67, uh, my father would come back from work and he would uh, talk shop, obviously, you know, with, uh, with, uh, his family. And, uh, that's how I basically got interested in, in contact lenses. And later on, my older brother, which is seven years older than I am, uh, started working for my father. So that was, a uh, even more reason to talk shop <laughs> at dinner time because my brother and my father were working uh, in the lab. Well, my father was still prescribing a lot of lenses, but eventually when soft lenses came out, uh, he concentrated all of his work uh, in the lab itself in coming up with his own soft lenses. But he sold his facility in 1975 to a conglomerate of optometrists here in Quebec uh, that wanted to do a uh, vertical integration of their of their suppliers. So they were buying uh, lab, you know, optical labs, contact lens lab and everything. And uh, at the time, like I said earlier, uh, my brother Pierre and Gilles Castonguay, which is also very well known in the U.S. because he's been doing a lot of consultation for a lot of the practitioners in, in, in North America and worldwide, basically, were working for my father. But uh, the purchaser of the lab, uh, the, the person, you know, the conglomerate that bought the lab uh, did not make a job offer to either Pierre or Gilles. So my father in his negotiations, said, well, if you don't mind, they'll start their own lab. So they said, sure, they can start their own lab, uh, which was a huge mistake because uh, six or seven years later, uh, you know, my, my old father's company went bankrupt, basically. And that's when I joined. You know, I got a phone call from my brother in 1982. I was still uh, studying. Uh, at the time, and my brother said, "Well, I'd like you to come and join. You know, the company. We feel that Dad's old company is gonna go belly up. You know, business is gonna go up, and I need someone to support us, and more so in the finance department because, believe it or not, in school I studied accountancy. I'm a CPA by trade, oh, wow. never practice. <laughs> so I so I graduated, passed the board exam, and on the day of the results. Uh, since I passed, I said, okay, I can leave accounting and go work in the family business. And that's how it got started, basically. So I joined uh, the, the lab in Sherbrooke. was was uh, started in 1975, but I joined in 82.
2: What a, what a great story. That's fascinating. And we know that your lab is well known for high-quality corneal contact lenses. So what stimulated you to make the leap into the scleral lens market?
3: Well, actually, uh, two things. I remember meeting Ken Pullum uh, at one of the academy meetings. I think it was Orlando, probably mid-90s or 96, 97. I'm not too sure of the dates. And I went by his booth, and I see all these scleral lenses, but huge scleral lenses, you know, the type that my father was fitting, like 24, 25, 26-millimeter lenses. So I started having a discussion with him. And I said, well, they must be difficult to insert. And of course, he says, no, look how easy they are to remove and reinsert. And within like three seconds, he got them out and back in again. And uh, so I said, OK, well, but that's that's complicated because they're large lenses. And I knew that because of the sagittal depth of those lenses, you have to modify all of your tooling in the lab. So either when you make large lenses like that, either the tooling is set up to make large lenses like that or to make. Uh, small corneal lenses, so it's a different tooling. So I said, I don't want to buy a second set of machine or having to play with the tooling all the time in order to make these large lenses. So I let, I let the scleral lens market, you know, for... I, I thought it was something that would, could not evolve all that much, basically. A little later on, uh, actually, uh, Andrew White and uh, Craig Norman had visited a lab in uh, the western part of uh, Canada uh, and they came back to me and they said, you know, we met we met with this fellow who came up with this scleral lens design. It's a small lab. I don't think that he can really promote the lens in North America because he doesn't have the, the marketing power to do so. But we think that you could do it. So I said, okay, well, send me some trial lenses and I'll put them in my eyes. And if I feel they're if I feel comfortable, uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll look into it. And uh, sure enough, I got the trial set put one of these lenses in my eye and I said, wow, I couldn't believe it, couldn't feel it. And you know, I have been in the business since 1982, so it's, we're we're talking about 2005 or 2006, something like that. And I said, okay, everybody has been saying in the market that the only drawback of corneal lenses is comfort, but now we have a lens that is as comfortable as a soft lens, so Definitely, this is the future. So we invested all of our efforts into scleral lenses, all of our efforts, all of our marketing dollars, all of our research and development. We just decided that this was the way to go. And uh, I think I think we made the right decision at the time.
2: That's, uh, that's amazing. Do you remember what year that was approximately when you really dove into scleral lenses?
3: Uh, I want to say probably... 2010, 2009, 2010, I want to say that we, uh, that, that we, we dove uh, heavily into, uh, into scleral lenses. Yep, 2010, I think.
1: That's exactly when I started fitting was around that time. And I had a similar experience that I went to a um, day-long class of all RGPs, and there was a scleral module, and Greg Denier took a um, scleral lens and put it on my eye, and I had the same reaction. I went, yeah. "Wow, this is great." You know, yeah. I can't believe this. Yeah. And I walked out of the presentation, there was a booth and there were, there were there was your lab standing there. And I said, "Well, I guess I need this." And so my very first kit was one you designed.
3: <laughs> I remember that actually. <laughs> I remember the fellow you met also, Mr. Dorer, <laughs> at the time.
1: They're, they're difficult to forget, John.
3: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, that, that's funny because I remember that when we started promoting scleral lenses, we didn't talk about the benefit, the visual benefits or anything like that. We had to convince the practitioner that they were comfortable because nobody believed they would be comfortable. So I remember going to a GSLS and every convention that we attended, we had a, a either at the booth or more so in a in a separate room, we would invite practitioners and just put lenses on their eye. Just just say, look, they are comfortable, and that would that was the the tip off for them. You know, it's like, oh, that they are comfortable, and it, they're not that complicated to insert and remove. So yeah, I, I would be interested in learning more. But that was step number one. We don't have to do that anymore. You know, after ten years, it's been, it's 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 not acquired, but it's, it's a given now that scleral lenses can be as comfortable, if not co- more comfortable than some soft lenses, you know, or marginal dries and all that. So our our uh, teaching has changed over the years from just proving that they were comfortable to talking about sagittal depth, which was a new concept uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago for many practitioners mm-hmm. and to refining, you know, and, and going into now toric aptics and, uh, uh, displaced optics and what have you, so.
2: I know we've come quite a long way.
3: Quite a ways.
2: And it's been so much fun.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Cooper Vision Specialty Eye Care. Cooper Vision Specialty Eye Care brings an impressive portfolio of life-changing specialty lenses to ECPs across the globe, empowering them to differentiate themselves while positively impacting the lives of their patients. You'll find a comprehensive collection of advanced scleral, ortho-k, and RGP lens designs from the highly respected brands that now comprise CooperVision Specialty Eye Care. Products include OneFit, IC, Paragon CRT, Dreamlight, Senso, and so many more. All of which are backed by the promise of continuous innovation, best-in-class service, and a refreshing perspective to solve unique and challenging vision issues with a customer-first perspective. Let Cooper Vision Specialty Eye Care lead you on a journey of changing patients' lives and improving practice profitability. Learn more at coopervisionspecialtyeyecare.com.
2: So one of the fun things in our clinic is scleroprofilometry. Has the advent of scleroprofilometry had any influence on your designs?
3: Uh, well, of course, Uh you know, we, we we try to work with all, all the different companies out there. Uh, I, I feel there's there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, you know, the, the, the capturing of the images is uh, the, the difficult part. Uh, from my experience, and, you know, I haven't worked all that much recently in that field, actually. But uh, when you have a good capture, you have a good results. So and that's the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. So, I you know, I asked from profit limiters that are out there that it would be interesting if, if they could give us uh, an evaluation of the quality of the image that we are dealing with. You know, this is like 80% or 90% or 95%. And uh, because I noticed when we would go back, uh, let's say with one of the company in Europe, uh, when we had success fitting a lens on the first trial, they would tell me that the image, the capture image, would be of high quality. And the ones that we failed, or we had to do a second lens or a third lens, the image quality was not all that great. So I, I always asked them if they could give the practitioner an idea of the quality of the image, which would tell him or her, uh, take another capture or the lens that you order, you know, your image only gets a grade of 65%. So don't expect the moon on the first lens. You're, you're going to have some tweaking to do because there's a lot of extrapolation that's being done. But uh, it's like everything. It's, gonna, it's going to evolve. It's going to get better. And uh, I think it's probably going to be the way that we're going to fit some lenses in, in just a few years from now.
2: So if you're listening out there on Globalize... I, I agree. That's that would be a great idea to tell us the quality of the image, because when we get a, a good image, we get great results. I, absolutely. Absolutely. You need good quality images. Yeah.
1: So, John, you're, you're really leading into the next question that we wanted to ask you, and that is, what does the future hold for specialty lenses? Uh, drawing on your background, are there any big breakthroughs on the horizon that you can foresee?
3: Well, I, I, if we look at scleral lenses, okay, uh, I think that it's, uh, it's probably 80 or 85% of the lenses that we are fitting are still being fitted to irregular cornea. So the vast majority of lenses are still being used on irregular cornea. I think there's a tremendous market potential uh, with marginal dry eyes, uh, you know, probably scleral lenses that are a little smaller in diameter because you don't need to have that much vault when you're dealing with a regular cornea. So maybe around 15, 15 15.2 or 15.5 would be enough to fit a lot of the regular cornea out there. And if we could just fit 20% of the dropouts of soft lenses every year, we wouldn't have enough lathes in this country to to to, to supply the market basically so I, I think there's there's room for growth with what we have now it's just a matter of convincing uh the practitioners just like to a certain extent we were able to convince them that scleral lenses were probably on most occasions the best alternative for the patient for the irregular cornea uh, now we just have to move to another step and and convince them that for marginal dry eyes when you when you've tried two types or three types of uh, soft toric, or uh, even if they're spherical lenses and they're still not working and the patient still has a gritty feeling by three, four or five o'clock, or every time a a patient tells you, uh, the first thing that I do when I come back home is take my lenses out, well, there's an issue. If they go back with their lenses or glasses, I should say, there's an issue with comfort. So I think that scleral lenses can probably solve, not all of them, but a good part, a good majority of them with, the, with a nice fit, smaller lens that is a little easier to handle because that's probably the m- number one reason why there's some dropouts in scleral lenses is the manipulation, you know, the insertion and removal. Not so much the removal, more so the insertion. Some people really struggle. Uh, but if the lens is a little smaller, it makes everything a little easier.
1: Well, the comforts uh, certainly there, and I know when I speak to practitioners who are just getting into fitting sclerals, I do always recommend to them, even if they're fitting one eye because they have a ectasia injury and they're happy with their their other eye wearing a soft lens. I always tell the practitioner measure both. Yes. Do out, do everything for both eyes because, as you know, and I think Melissa, you'll agree. So many people come back and go, you know, this scler lens is more comfortable than yeah. the soft lens, and I don't need it for fit, but it's more comfortable. So yeah. yeah, yeah, always measure both.
2: And in addition to the dry eye, which is for sure, we have the ability to correct for up close for presbyopia. Oh, oh absolutely, can absolutely, yes. We have in there, so we have refractive error, astigmatism, and we can also correct for presbyopia and help with the dry eye too.
3: Right, right. Well, I'm a good example of a, a Presbyo successfully wearing scleral lenses that are multifocal, so. Wonderful. Yeah, so there, there's definitely a good potential there. Uh, it's a little more work.
2: And when you go skiing, they're really stable on your eye, too.
3: Absolutely. And, and the vision doesn't fluctuate like it can with, with a soft lens that may dehydrate a little bit during the day or moves when you blink. So, you know, we we can now play with displaced optics and really make sure that the optics that you want, whether it's the distance or the near, is directly in front of the visual axis. And once, after 5, 10 minutes, a scleral lens will basically stabilize on your eye and and not move for the rest of the day. So, yeah, so you can get great vision with that.
1: Well, we all know people, uh, John, who have inspired and motivated us to achieve more. Do you have a special mentor that was especially uh, influential? Uh,
3: actually, I have I have several. Uh, starting with my father, you know, uh, my father graduated. Contact lenses did not exist, and with five years after they started uh, being commercialized, he had a lab of his own. So, uh, you know, I mean, he he had his own way of fitting lenses. He, he thought uh, to fit contact lenses. Uh, At the university, he was asked to do some lectures in Europe. And, and, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, uh, that was quite something, actually, you know, to be able to do that. Uh, Other mentors have been uh, like Daniel Brazot, which we've worked closely with, uh, L'Angis Michaud. Uh, which we work closely with, uh, no, we, we, we designed some lenses, but there were always, the I think you say in English, the resounding boards, you know, I would work on some lenses in the lab. Usually I was the guinea pig, you know, I would try the lenses on, and when I thought I had something that might work, I would send it over to the, to either Danielle or Langis or sometimes both of them, and they would come back and say yes or no. So you need to do more work or not, you know? So I, absolutely. Uh, I I greatly admire these uh these uh, gurus that have been very influential in uh, in my life.
2: That's wonderful. We know that you enjoy traveling and in typical globalized fashion we would like to ask this question. If you could go anywhere in the world right now, where would it be?
3: Bora Bora. Ooh. <laughs> yes, because I would in fact I would go back because uh, when I retired in the uh, in January, uh, the day after the GSLS, I was on a flight from LA to Papete and, and went into the French Polynesian island. And it's as beautiful as they say, as beautiful as you see on the pictures. It's peaceful, uh, it's really, it's wonderful. So I would go back anytime, anytime. That sounds fantastic. Food, food was fantastic. Uh, I like the mountains and I like I like the water and you have all of that over there, the you know, blue clear water, uh, high, high mountains in the backdrop. It's really fantastic, really. I recommend to anybody to at least visit once.
2: Okay, it's on my list, definitely.
3: <laughs> it should be.
1: <laughs> John, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for being here, and thanks to our listeners for joining today's podcast. We hope you'll tune back in for future episodes of the Globalize with Melissa Barnett and Tom Arnold podcast series.
3: Thank you.